This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So we started off with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 where Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost to identify mankind, the makeup of man. He says, In the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. The word sanctify means to separate or to cleanse. God wants you clean in every area of your life. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, if that's God's desire, he had to make a way for that to happen. He wouldn't instruct us to do something or tell us that this is the will of God for something to be without giving us a means, providing for us a means and a method to to obtain that. We've also added some other scriptures in here talking about being led by the Spirit and the development of our spirits. And that's in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. Paul said again by the Holy Ghost, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, everybody that's honest and and sincere about the things of God want to be led by the Holy Ghost. If they know what that is, which I'm not sure how much of the church world does, but nevertheless, to come to the knowledge that that's possible, everybody would want that, it would seem. Well, verse 16 tells us how that's going to happen. Romans 8, 16 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. It doesn't say the Holy Ghost will bear witness with our heads or our souls. The soul is defined in scripture as the mind the will and the emotions it doesn't say that the holy ghost will bear witness with our feelings he certainly doesn't bear witness with our circumstances he bears witness with our spirits spiritual development and spiritual sensitivity seems to be a lost um i started to say lost art just as a cliche but a lost subject in the church world think about the early days of the church they had no bible They had only the leading of the Holy Ghost. They had only the remembrance of Jesus' teachings, talking about the disciples. And that's what they went by. They had to be conscious of the leading of the Spirit of God. They had nothing else to rely on. Nowadays, so many churches are teaching, denominations are teaching, that because we have the whole of the Bible, the entirety of the Scripture, we don't need anything else. Some will teach that the power of God has gone away. We don't need gifts of the Spirit anymore because we've got the Bible. Well, I've always been interested and intrigued by that because the very people that say that we don't need the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of spiritual gifts and manifestations of the Spirit because we've got the whole of the Bible, deny half of the Bible. I mean, it seems like they ought to be the, 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 the most um, adherent the strongest adherence to the Word of God, if that's their substitute, doesn't it? But there seems to be the ones that are pick and choose what belongs to us and what doesn't belong to us. Folks, it all belongs to us. If God wasn't smart enough to tell us what part was going to be done away with and not belong to us anymore and not have that written as a record, then who in the world do we think we're serving? He had to be that smart. I mean, He created the earth in six days. But oops. He forgot to leave certain verses in there. No, bless God, it all belongs to us. Another scripture we've looked at is Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. It says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Another translation says the light or the lamp of the Lord. 
Now, lights and lamps in those days, in Bible days, were used to enlighten dark rooms or dark places. They were used as, as we would use a flashlight nowadays to show you your path in the dark. So it's talking about the spirit of man is what God uses to enlighten or to reveal or to guide you through life. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. God guides you and directs you from within. Now, if if spiritual development is such a key, and the Bible says that it is, if being led by the Holy Ghost depends on spiritual development and spiritual sensitivity, and it does, then why is there so little effort in the church world made on spiritual things? Most of the teaching in the church world, our modern-day church world, at least in the American church, is about behavior. Do this, don't do that. And seem to be a lot more don't do's than do's. Rules, regulations, with the idea, if it's never stated specifically, the implication is certainly there that God's mad at you if you don't do right. And if you do wrong, then he's, a, he's against you and rather than being on your side. Yet the Bible talks about freedom in the spirit of God. And that freedom can only come through the development of your spirits. Now, I want you to turn back with me to a couple of verses of Scripture. Look with me to Matthew chapter 4. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus is being tempted of the devil after he's spent 40 days in the wilderness preparing himself for the plan of God and the purpose of God for his life. The Bible says Jesus went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days where he was tempted of the devil. A lot of people think that Jesus went out into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days to be tempted of the devil. But that's not why he went out there. He went out there to prepare himself for the work God had for him to do, his earthly ministry. But anytime you separate yourself to the things of God, the devil will be right there. Anytime you try to make a step forward in God, the devil will see how serious you are about making it. He'll give you every opportunity to to turn around and to back up on the commitment that you make. So here comes the devil. If the devil tempts Jesus, he's certainly going to tempt you and me. And notice the first temptation. It says, I'm reading in chapter 4 of Matthew in verse um, 3. It says, And when the tempter came to Jesus, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. First thing Jesus was tempted with was his physical body, the flesh. That's a legitimate temptation because it says after 40 days he's hungry. Well, I guess so. I would be too. I'd have been hungry for a long time, for 39 and a half days probably. (laughs) So it's a bona fide temptation. And would there be anything wrong with Jesus turning the stones into bread or turning anything else into food for his own benefit? Would there be anything wrong with that? The only thing that would be wrong with it is that if he put his body before his spirit. And folks, that is a huge, huge lesson. You put the things of the flesh in front of the things of the spirit. You make provision for the flesh more so than you make provision for the spirit. We all have to take care of our bodies. Most of us take care of them too well. Make too much provision for them. That's where it gets wrong. Then the, the, uh, the teaching, the instruction of these scriptures is to keep things in the right perspective. So the devil said, if you're the son of God, there's always an if with the devil. If you're the son of God, turn these stones, command these stones that they be turned into bread. And Jesus answered and said, notice verse 4, Matthew 4, 4. 
Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Bread uh, is a representative of food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. Jesus is saying something very, very simple, but very, very important. And it's instructive to me that it's the first thing that Jesus says when he comes face to face with the devil. The first thing Jesus says when he comes face to face with the devil is the most important thing to me is the word. That set the course for everything that the devil had to do with Jesus. And every time that Jesus defeated him, it was because of this principle of Jesus' life. Now notice what he said. Notice how he said it. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. Well, he's talking about physical life and physical food that provides for the body. And notice what he says. Notice that he says that man shall not live by bread or food alone. Now, folks, I'm going to use a real simple illustration. And forgive me for being so elementary. But I hope you're going to get it. And that is this. Would anybody substitute food or substitute rocks for food or dirt for food? Why not? God created them. God made the rocks. God made the dirt. Why don't we eat dirt? Why don't we eat rocks? Some of the food sometimes tastes like we do, perhaps. But why don't we substitute those things for it? Because God made man's body to be fed, nourished, and strengthened by one specific thing, and that is represented here in these scriptures as bread. Food is what nourishes you, not dirt. Food is what strengthens you, not rocks. Jesus is using that illustration to show us the place that the word should have in our lives. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, he's saying the same thing that food is for the physical body, the word of God is for your spirit. Jesus died and shed his blood and was buried and he took our sins to the grave. And then after three days, God said, that's enough. And he raised his son to life. Jesus Christ is alive. He's here tonight. Experience the power of the gospel. Franklin Graham, evangelist and son of America's pastor, Billy Graham, will minister at Foothill Family Church Wednesday, December 2nd. You'll be encouraged and strengthened by his compelling message of the cross and how the Bible speaks to our time. Don't miss this special service. For more information, visit foothillfamily.com slash Franklin. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying just like physical food is necessary for the life, the physical life of the body. And if you, you know as well as I do that if somebody starves themselves, sooner or later their body dies. In the same way, starve yourself spiritually from the word of God and your spiritual strength will be sapped just like you starve your body. Man shall not live by, word, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, the, the fact that he talks about life or living is interesting to me because Jesus wasn't interested just in physical life. Jesus had a lot more to him and had a lot greater purpose than just physical life. So he says, just like food is necessary for the physical life, he's talking about 
the word of God being necessary for your spiritual life. Now, what kind of spiritual life does he mean? Well, didn't he come to bring us his life? Jesus said, the thief comes but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and life more abundantly. What kind of life is that? That's eternal life. We could call it the Jesus life. So Jesus is is saying, just as food is necessary for the existence and the strengthening and the nourishment of the physical body, the physical man, he says the word of God is, is necessary for the spiritual nourishment to live the Jesus life. What is the Jesus life? Jesus is the Jesus life is the eternal life that he said that he came to bring us. It's not something that you get when you go to heaven. It's something that you have now. John wrote to the church and said, brethren, we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He didn't say we know we're going to have this eternal life or we know that we will pass from death to life. He said we know we have. It's already taken place at the new birth. You've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus through the new birth, through making Jesus the Lord of your life. That's the eternal life that he's talking about. And he says the source of that eternal life that you received when you were born again is the word of God. Well, what if we substitute something else for it? You can't. You can't. There's only one thing that fits your spirit just like food fits your body. And that's the word of God. Turn with me over to another scripture over in John chapter 6. The multitudes wind up turning their back on Jesus and walking away for some of the things that they said because they didn't understand the meaning behind it. But as a part of this, Jesus said, um, well, let's start reading in verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, that means the saying, He's talking about drinking his flesh and uh, drinking his blood, needing his flesh. And they're thinking naturally. They're thinking, well, that violates the law of Moses. How can this man give us his flesh? But he's talking about the sacrifice on the cross. And so they didn't understand. They didn't stop to, to find out or take the time to get Jesus to explain it. So they just got upset and many of them walked away. So it says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at this saying, he said unto them, does this offend you? You know, it's an interesting thing to me. Most everybody thinks that if, if, if everybody was on the earth and ministers were operating in the love of God the way that Jesus did, nobody would ever get offended. Jesus ticked people off right and left. Jesus really wasn't concerned too much with not offending people. Especially the Pharisees. So he said, does this offend you? What? And if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before. In other words, he's saying, now you're offended at what I said. You don't understand the meaning behind the drinking my blood and eating my flesh. You're judging that against what you think the law of Moses says and commands and so forth. But what about if you see me ascend up into the Father? Now these disciples will. They're the ones that were with Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Forty days later, he was caught up in the cloud and ascended up into heaven. He's telling them something that's going to happen just a couple of months after. He said, what are you going to think about it then? In other words, I think you judge this for yourself, but I think Jesus is saying you guys need to get a grip here and realize who's talking to you even though you don't understand the meaning of what I'm saying. That's a good principle to follow. If the word of God says it is true, just because I don't understand something doesn't mean it's not true. Are you with me? 
So he said, what? Does this offend you? Well, what about if you see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. Please notice these words. It's the Spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words, everybody say words. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying words are spirit and words produce life. Spiritual words produce life. Turn with me over to one other scripture, a portion of scripture back to Matthew chapter 7. Notice what Jesus said about the word of God and the place that it should hold in our lives. Jesus placed a great emphasis on the word of God. Much more so than most Christians do. Jesus said in beginning in uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Well that would be the word wouldn't it? Heareth these sayings would be hearing the word. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Luke's translation of this account says, and it could not fall because it was founded on a rock. I like that. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Please notice they weren't astonished at him. Then say they were astonished at him because he did miracles. He said they were astonished at his doctrine for or because he taught them I'm reading from the King James as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, if you're reading along with me in the King James, you'll, you'll realize and if you'll notice if you take a, a moment to, to look closely, you'll see that the word one, O-N-E, is in italics. That means the translators put that in there. They're trying to help us to understand, but understand according to their understanding. And their understanding was not always according to the truth. So since they put it in there, let's take it out. When Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine for, doctrine means teaching, for he taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. He taught them as having authority. These words has and having are interesting because the word as means how, meaning the manner to, and the word having means to hold. So if we substitute the the specific meanings of these Greek words for the translation, it says for he taught them how to hold authority. And not as the scribes. Now what did Jesus say was the the source for holding authority? Holding meaning to use, the manner to use. What's the source for using authority effectively? He said it's acting on the word. He said it's acting on the word. Folks notice that Jesus said that the difference between victory and defeat is not the size of the storm that comes. Same storm affects both houses. One storm, one house, the storm causes to fall. The other storm just passes over. Beats on the house, but the house doesn't fall because it's founded upon a rock. Notice that Jesus is saying that the key to victory, the difference between victory or defeat, is not being saved. Wouldn't that be nice? 
Thus saith the Lord, because you are saved, my child, you'll never have another problem in life. And I'd sign up for that. That's not the way it works. It's not being saved that makes the difference between victory and defeat. Being saved makes the difference in heaven and hell. The thing that makes the difference in victory and defeat is the word and the use of the word in your life. Not the storms, not the circumstances, not anything other than the word. Why? Because the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. In other words, Jesus told us, and, and we could use other examples as well, but these are the most obvious. Jesus tells us on many occasions when he was here on the earth revealing the Father to us. And remember, that was Jesus' whole purpose for coming to the earth is to reveal the Father. To reveal the Father. His revelation of the Father was all about the place of the Word of God, the place that the Word of God should hold in our lives. Why is that? Because you'll never know God except through his Word. You'll never know God apart from his word. You will only know God through his word. And that's why Jesus put such a priority on the word of God. Now, folks, if Jesus operated here on the earth the way that most church people think that he did, that he did miracles because he was the son of God, and he just did whatever he wanted to do according to God's plan and purpose, that's why he healed the sick and, and uh, did uh, the miracles that he did because he was the son of God. If that was the case, then why make an emphasis on the word? Why did Jesus put such a priority on the word? I'm not talking about just putting a priority on the word for other people. Why did Jesus make such a priority on the word of God for himself? Wouldn't make sense. If Jesus is able to turn it on and off the power of God at his will, then why emphasize the word? Why tell us that the word of God is the key to victory? Why tell us that the word of God is spirit and life? Why didn't he just say, well, this is all done to prove to you that I'm something special? That's what most of the church world thinks. But that's not what he said at all. In fact, there were cases in Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, where he couldn't. The Bible says he couldn't do any mighty work or miracle. doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't. Why not? Because the people wouldn't receive him. People wouldn't accept him. The people didn't receive him or accept him as being the deliverer of the word. The messenger from heaven. And so he was hindered. God never pushes his way on anybody. Including you. He'll give you the tools whereby you can walk in victory, but he won't force you to do it. That's one of the biggest differences in, in uh, Knowing the voice of God, the leading of the Holy Spirit, as opposed to the way the devil tries to push you and drive you. He's always forceful about it. He tells you to do it or else. God never says do it or else. God says here's the place, here's the means of victory. It's up to you, your choice, your call. Now turn back with me to the Old Testament book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. Notice what God tells Joshua is the key to success. This is Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law, that's all they had of the word of God. We've got more so we could substitute the word of God, this word of God. But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the words that God had spoken to mankind through Moses. This book of the law, or the word of God, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. 
This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. The only way something cannot depart from your mouth is if you say it again and again and again. Because once you say it once, one time, it's gone. So if it doesn't depart from your mouth, you've got to keep saying it. And that's the whole point. To meditate is to speak the word again and again and again and again and again. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now God tells Joshua, Joshua, I know you're going to be busy, but I need you to do something. Your first and foremost job is to speak the word of God day and night. The rest of your time is yours, but speaking the word of God belongs to day and night. Obviously, he's talking about doing that along with the other things you have to do in your lives. He's not talking about setting aside your day and your night doing nothing else but speaking the word of God. He's talking about taking the word of God with you and speaking the word of God in everything that you do and every activity that you participate in. Take the word of God with you. So many people are worried about trying to put a a certain amount of time or spending enough time when they're alone with God. Folks, take God with you. God doesn't want you to shut up in a closet all day. He doesn't want you to live in a hermit life. He wants to go with you wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. For what end? For what purpose? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Notice Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that we just read before, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I'll liken him liken him unto a wise man that built his house on the rock. Wisdom is not just hearing the word of God. Wisdom is not just saying what the word of God says. Wisdom is hearing the word, speaking the word, and doing the word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Well, what benefit is that going to bring us? Sounds like a lot of work. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Please notice it does not say then God will make your way prosperous. Notice it says then you shall make your way prosperous. God's not the one picking prosperity for some and and poverty for others. Making your way prosperous or being successful in life as another translation says. Being successful is dependent on your attitude and your action toward the word of God. It's not God's will. God's not picking picking winners and losers. He's not choosing between his children. You'll have good things. You'll have bad things. He provides the same means of success for every believer, every one of his children. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. You'll make your way prosperous. And notice it's dependent on the word. It's all centered around the word of God. Then you shall make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. The Amplified Translation, I believe, says, Then thou shalt deal wisely in the affairs of life. Well, we all want that, don't we? Notice how that comes. It comes from the one thing, the only one thing, that's meant to fit and feed and nourish and strengthen your spirit. The Word of God. The number one way that we develop our spirits to know the voice of God is by feeding on the Word of God. As we make the Word of God a part of our inner man, God is able by His Spirit to draw to our remembrance and bring to our thought life His plan and purpose for us. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Feed on God's Word. God's Word will overcome any situation in your life. The devil's not strong enough to keep the Word of God from working. He doesn't have enough power to overcome the Word of God. Meditate it on, act it on, and put first place in the life of the believer. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.